Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by a special guest. Uh, for those of you of the Spotify persuasion, you're almost certainly familiar with the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, I am endlessly inundated with uh, recaps of 60s songs that explain the 90s for my wife. Uh, my best friend right. talks to me constantly about the big picture and the rewatchables. And it's weird how the, those podcasts almost become... A, a platform for us to discuss the same things that those podcasts were about in the first place. It's its own weird culture. But uh, I have a very special guest that I brought on that I've brought on today, Steve Cerruti from The Ringer. Um, if you're like me and you listen to the Bill Simmons podcast or the Ryan Russillo podcast, uh, there's a good chance you're familiar with Steve. Uh, Steve, welcome to the kickabout first and foremost, man. How's it going? Pumped to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you listening to all the stuff. I know we got a we got a wide variety of stuff, I guess, over at the ringer and you know, hoping to ramp up some we got an EPL pod that just came out with some preview stuff. I was trying to hold down, you know, that you know, the Everton flag and I know everybody's down on them this year. I don't think it's quite as bad as everybody thinks. We'll get into that, but I yeah, yeah. no, it's 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 great to have you on. And and I probably just for the rest of the audience's sake, um, who knows my voice pretty well, it's it's a strange one, Steve, about I'd say probably a good 75% of our audience are uh, from the UK, uh, but we do have a very right. sizable and growing number from uh, uh, from over here in America. And uh, we, uh, you know, the, the origin sometimes of our guests are pretty apparent, you know, like I think last year at this time, I had a preview pod with Phil McNulty, who is the uh, the chief uh, football writer for the BBC. And, and we talk a lot to local mm-hmm. journalists and, and fan groups and those sorts of things. But the reason I've got Steve on today, uh, the origin of that is, well, as I said before, I'm a, I'm a listener to the Ringer podcast, but I was listening, Steve, uh, gosh, probably a month or, uh, back or 
or so when I was deep, deep, deep into NBA uh, draft uh, rabbit hole fever, uh, where I just wanted to consume every discussion about uh, the upcoming draft. We'll talk about the NBA in a little bit. I'm a Thunder fan. I live here in Oklahoma City. And so, uh, you know, I was just listening and kind of minding my own business and and enjoying my non-Everton time, uh, as I like to say. And uh, Steve just sort of casually mentioned, I don't know if I can't even remember, Steve, if it was discussion just about uh, teams for which we suffer to support, because I don't. That's probably what it was. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's probably what it was. I think you were talking yeah. about the Orlando Magic, who you're a fan of. And, uh, y- you know, you, you kind of casually mentioned Everton. And, of course, my radar went immediately up uh, just because anytime someone else that I listen to, uh, especially for other reasons and sort of an out of context way, uh, a knows who Everton is and B, uh, has made the masochistic decision to, uh, support them. Uh, it's someone I have to talk to. Uh, I get asked that question all the time as an American, like why, why Everton? So <laughs> Steve, I think that's the best place uh, the to start, man. <laughs> why, why, why Everton? Tell me your, how you came to support Everton of all, t- of all clubs. It's so funny because I always joke that I, you have to sort of hate yourself to root the team to root for the teams that I root for. Everton, first and foremost, is probably maybe the number one team <laughs> yeah. on that list. Uh, but I, as an Orlando Magic fan, it hasn't been great for the last decade or so. We did have an NBA Finals ten years ago with Dwight Howard, but that feels, I mean, that guy that feels like, you know, you know, eons ago. Um, my Everton fandom started. So this was probably I, I'll, I'll take you back to my entire soccer. No, fandom, great. Actually. This is probably better better way to explain no, it. So. I was one of those kids that grew up and I played basketball, football, baseball, and I was just like soccer. This is like a loser sport. What do we like? You know, <laughs> in the States here, like especially in like the early 2000s, it just wasn't something that was on like the mainstream radar. Shortly after that, like, David Beckham joined MLS and like it started to gain some traction. There was like, oh, is this going to be a thing? And it seems like it's an ever, it's a, it's a never ending discussion of like, when is soccer really going to hit it big in the States? I do think it, it, it is kind of getting there now, although some people would say it's, it's again, it's part of that process. But I really got into the sport uh, my senior year of high school, which was 2006. And that was when Italy won the World mm-hmm. Cup. The games were on during the summer. It was the year before, uh, when I was going to, before I went to college. And I kind of fell in love with the Italy team. My last name is Cerruti. I'm Italian. Francesco Totti mm-hmm. was my guy. So I ended up picking Roma. And I also, a couple years later, I went to, uh, I went to Rome, went to the Stadio Olimpico, saw Roma mm-hmm. intergame. So like Roma was like my first team. Uh, but the, the 06 World Cup was my thing, right? And that's where I got my introduction to the sport. And then a couple years later, you know, the, I, everyone's talking about the Premier League, and the Premier League is like the league, right, that everybody follows. And Serie A had sort of, you know, it still kind of was on the decline. It's on the decline now. I, I still love this Serie A. I love watching the sport. But obviously, the Premier League is the thing. So I'm like, all right, I got to pick a team. Like, what's my team? And that was also when I started kind of getting into the U.S. Mm-hmm. national team, you know, and that was obviously Big Landon Donovan, Quinn Dempsey period, and obviously Tim Howard. So I didn't really know a ton about Everton. I had just started watching. This is probably 2012, 2013. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, I think it peaked with the, I think it was the 2014 season when Everton finished fifth. And things were on the up. Like they were almost pushing for Champions League places. So I'm like, oh, Tim Howard's on this team. Like this is my squad. Like I like, this is an up, good up and coming team. I like the color <laughs> blue. Uh, I didn't really know anything about them other than Tim Howard was there. And then Landon Donovan played, you know, a few years prior to that as well. So that's kind of how I picked the, the team. And looking back, like, how oh. was I? <laughs> I mean, I just, I had no idea what I, what I was even remotely getting myself into. Because I always tell people now, 
you know, over the course of the last decade or so, I've become like kind of the soccer guy among people that I work with, their friend group. And a lot of people are like, how, you know, how do I pick a team? How do I pick a team? And I always tell them just like root for one of the rich clubs. Like your life is going to be significantly <laughs> easier. I would, I would never recommend. I mean, I love Everton, the people's club. I think they do great things, but you know, if you're going to be a casual, you want to enjoy your existence, like probably root for Chelsea, root for, you know, certainly root for city. Uh, all, you know, Liverpool, I would never suggest anyone yeah. root for Liverpool, but Tottenham is another one that I, it's kind of like the hipstery team. But, uh, but yeah, that's how I started rooting for Everton. And looking back, I mean, it's cool because, you know, you're a little bit, it's like alt culture, us being Everton fans, right? It's not really that mainstream in the States, especially now that we're so far removed yeah. from Tim Howard. And, you know, it doesn't feel like there's that many, you know, U.S. connections with the, with the club anymore. Um, but man, little did I know that the, the art, that the agony, the heartbreak, the, my weekend mornings would be mostly just not fun. <laughs> um, and like, uh, like uh, false optimism of signing players and new uh, ownership and thinking that like we're on the way up and we're pushing for a top six and then all culminating last season with basically what should have been a relegation season. I, I'm still like stunned. I, I would, I resigned myself in February to the fact that they were going wow, down, yeah. but um, here we are, and I'm one of those guys, like, I'm not going to quit now. Like, I'm too invested. You know, if they had gone down, maybe that would have been a different story. But here we are, and I'm actually optimistic about this season, more than probably the average. You know, Steve, it's so funny. Whenever I talk to other American uh, supporters of Everton, uh, they, they, I'd say the vast majority have somewhat of an adjacent story to yours. There are those those kind of historical roots to the U.S. men's national team. Um, there are, you know, it, it, depending on, on your age, uh, gosh, there are even some of those U.S. players from the 90s that, that, that played for Everton as well. Um, I, I also think that one of the common denominators appears to be you picked up on Everton uh, for a first season that gave you hope. You were referring to the season we finished fifth. I, that was 2015. 13, yep. 14 under uh, Roberto Martinez and all, all I, yeah. I, I certainly was also drinking the Kool-Aid then as well. Uh, for me, it was 2004. I kind of picked a, picked a team, you know, I, I just decided to commit and my, my story has a, a lot of weird variations, but it was 0405. Everton had just sold Wayne Rooney the year before and went on this Cinderella run to a fourth place finish in the Champions League spot. And I, you know, winning every game 1-0 or maybe 2-1 if they were had a real goal explosion and scored two goals in a game. But I, I was convinced that, wow, it can only go up from here. If they're finishing fourth with this squad, then I'm, I'm sure I've got plenty of these years to go. And then yeah. before you know it, they've got you. And you may you may get up every weekend and, and watch and, and endure the misery, and yet you just can't turn away like a years-long slow-motion car crash that you just can't turn away from. <laughs> It's so true. My wife literally, especially last season, was just like, "Why are you watching? <laughs> yes. it makes you like you're you're miserable." And I'm like, "Because I'm like I'm invested yeah. in what's I've been invested for this in this team for almost a yeah. decade now. I you know I, I want to see this thing through. And last season, yeah, it was obviously a miserable existence. Other than like the first couple, I mean, even the first couple weeks, even when they were winning, to have Rafa Benitez there it was still like a bittersweet feeling. Yeah. I didn't want him. I, don't, I didn't want. No. Him. I don't think anybody wanted him to be the manager. And clearly, that was a, a, a horror, you know, horrible decision." by, you know, Moshiri and the board, and we don't have to really yeah, get into right. that, but um, it's just like, yeah, I'm invested. Like, I, you know, what do you want me to do? Like, this is my squad. I can't just, like, yeah. turn it off. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, there, there really hasn't been a ton of, of, of upside and, and bright. I mean, I, you know, there's been a, a couple moments here and there where, you know, I guess the, the, 
the Europa League season where you end up, you know, they end up finishing mm-hmm. seventh and, and, and are able to sneak into Europe, which is cool. But the problem, the thing that I've always said about Everton is they're kind of, and I think we could say this sure. because we're Everton fans, so we can be oh, self-deprecating. Course. What else do we have, Steve? Uh, yeah, what else like I, do we have? Yeah, it's, it's like, <laughs> I can make fun of the, you know, my, my our family. That's right. can make fun of my family. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, the thing I always say about Everton is like, they're kind of the worst club to root mm-hmm. for in a way because the expectations for what they should be from the fan base is probably way too high. Um, and meaning that like, even if they finish seventh, it's like, oh, we should be pushing for this for, for top six in Champions League. So even like a great season under, you know, uh, under normal circumstances is actually just kind of like the average season that, that, that fans used to expect. And now I wonder if this is kind of like a reset of what the club is and what sort of like the ideals and the values and the expectations and the goals are. Because... You know, certainly, I don't think we're going to be pushing. I mean, I, if, if Everton finished top half this oh. season, we, I think we would all, you know, snatch your hand off for a top Have half a this year. And a but for the years leading up to that, it was like they used to call Everton like the seventh place was mm-hmm. the Everton Trophy, right? And it was just miserable because there's really no win in any season. Like your ultimate win was just the average baseline of what the fans thought the season should be. So um, I do think, in a way, this kind of can reset. I, maybe I'll be. Maybe we'll be more. Uh, it'll be more enjoyable as fans because we have such low expectations that anything above, like we could, we'll probably overshoot it by finishing 13th if that even right. happens this year. So I do, I, that's why I am kind of excited about this upcoming season and not necessarily, you know, I think they're going to be in a relegation scrap. I think they'll probably be in the mix. I don't think they will be relegated, uh, you know, injuries and all things aside, but um, I'm actually kind of oddly looking forward to the season. Yeah. I, I probably mentally get myself there every summer to find something to look forward to. And, and I, I do find the complete and utter lack of expectations to be somewhat liberating in a way that I, I hadn't maybe expected before. But, you know, in, in any other sport, especially f- uh, I, I talk a lot about the lens of, of the American sports viewer, you know, growing up and, and uh, dealing with teams that would go through these very intentional rebuilding uh, projects and modes, etc. It's such a, it, it's kind of what Everton are doing, they're trying to do, but you always have to balance that with the fact that relegation still exists. So you can't, you can't go full tank, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, you're not going to go full Sam Hankey, you know, 76 You can't go full <laughs> yeah, Presty, exactly. uh, you know, well, kind of that, thing. Yeah. That's a good point. Kind of thing. That's a good point, actually, because I, you know, when I had picked Everton as my team, like, I didn't fully understand how, I don't know if this was the same for you, I didn't fully understand that European soccer wasn't like an American sport where, any team can just like win a championship, you know, like it's like, that's not, obviously it's not how it works. And, you know, so like if you're an NFL, if you're in, in, you know, Europe or England specifically, and you're like, I want to be an NFL fan or an NBA fan, like you can pick any team and sure there's like a shot. They could win a, a title if they get the right ping pong balls and they get the right draft picks in there. Like you could even pick, you know, the Sacramento Kings, like who knows, like that one day they could be. <laughs> They're the one team that has no chance like, of ever winning an NBA title. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> Probably not, but even like me as an Orlando Magic fan, right? You know, they're not like a historic. I mean, they actually do have a huge sure. amount of history considering they're only like, you know, 30 plus years old. But, you know, they've made a couple NBA finals. Like, there's some things that have been really awesome about them. Whereas in, in soccer, there's just there's just this, this hierarchy of teams that if you don't kind of pick one of those teams, like, you are not going to be a part of that group. And I didn't really understand yeah. that fully when I picked Everton as my club. And I don't actually dislike that because I think it is cool to root for a team that isn't just one of these big money clubs. Like there is, it is, you know, I don't want to be like a hipster about this, but it it is kind of fun to, I should say it wasn't fun when Everton were spending a ton of money and none of those players were good. That was not fun. (laughs) 
But like, there is like, you know, it, I was thinking about this too. Like, it must be fun if you're a U.S. fan to root for like Leeds this year because you've got a bunch of you know American players. The American, the manager Jesse Marsh is American. Yeah, they're not going to like, you know, they're going to be fighting relegation too. But there is like actually some enjoyment in that of 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 rooting for a team that isn't necessarily competing for a championship, but is you know fighting for survival or just trying to get better. So. You know, that's another reason why I think I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to the season. Well, and I, I think, too, that with those reduced expectations in talking to a lot of my friends and a lot of people on the pod, they they just, especially after a season like last season, they just want a, a, a squad and a team that they can really get behind. Uh, they don't expect... Yeah, or that a, a plan, plan, something that we're building towards something. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be like a perfect plan. Just like sure. what's the plan? Uh, have a some plan. basic have entertainment one. value to go along with a plan would be awesome. I, I think that, I yeah. think that's the weirdest thing about this sport. Like there are all of these thing, these kind of weird things you discover when you start following the Premier League, and you start, especially if you pick one of those teams outside of the kind of anointed six. Um, that that you're not really sure how to process like um you know we spend you know i think about all of the nba podcasts that i can you know consume during uh, you know the lead up to the draft or even during the off season sports like the nba the nfl they are they are you know calendar length round the clock sports because the off season the transactions and the structures in place like salary caps all these things mean that there is always discussion about you know what what you can do with your resources and allocating this towards that and taking risks on this and that you can't just spend your way out of trouble in the Premier League, if you have the most money, you are you are generally speaking going to now you have yeah. to have the most money for a long period of time. Uh, those those advantages are so entrenched. But even speaking of like the way as a Thunder fan, for instance, I can sit here and kind of analyze and, and appreciate the quote plan that Sam Presti has for this long term rebuild of the Thunder. Everything in terms of transparency is so much more obfuscated in the Premier League. It's like they don't really want to talk to you about injuries or how much money they have to spend or even a transfer fee is undisclosed. There's just there's always this gray kind of shrouding over everything. So it is always hard to know if there is a plan, who's do you know, who's executing the plan. I think with Everton we've got a new director of football, but he's still kind of hiring his staff. And so what does that mean for recruitment? And it's a little strange right now. But to your point, like I, it, I, I've said this to people, at least uh, if we're going to buy players this summer, I'd rather aim, lo- aim you know, uh, err on the side of youth in terms of, of buying younger players, though it sounds like Adrissa Gay may be coming back here pretty soon as well. But Steve, I, I think one question I have for you in terms of, of you know, following Everton, we, we talked a little bit about having hope for this season. Um I'm still kind of recovering from last season. I, I wanted to ask you this question because as mentally exhausting in some ways as last season was, I have to admit those last few weeks, I've probably knelt. It's I was full of terror, but I don't know that I'd felt more alive yeah. in terms of my connection to Everton. I was just going to say, I'm just <laughs> the most alive I felt in, in watching the club in so long. And uh, it was cool to actually have some games yeah. matter. At, I mean, obviously not not the way that you wanted it to, but there were so many times when you're finishing like 10th, it's like, yeah, the last like month doesn't really matter. Who cares? And 
you know, at least, and it was awesome to see, I mean, obviously the crowd and the supporters were integral in keeping the team up. Like, I don't think they're, that's, and that's the cool thing too about Everton that I don't think a lot of other, certainly clubs in the mid bottom of the table aren't showing the type of support that happened last year when Everton were in relegation battle. And I don't even think some of the bigger clubs like would be that. I mean, it, it could have gone one of two ways. Either it's just completely toxic and, and there have been some, you know, obviously some toxicity with the ownership and, you know, kind of the direction of the club overall from the fans as we've seen from, you know, the 27 whatever years right, right without a trophy. But there was also a lot of positive energy that was that was uh, that was injected into the club even during just like dire times. And I think guys like Richarlison and some of the players really fed off that. And it was, you're right, it was oddly a very um, cool thing to see. And that was, you know, I don't condone rushing the field. I know that's been a problem specifically for. Everybody. Yeah, but that was awesome. You got to admit that was. It was. That's... I know. I know. It was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the Crystal Palace stuff was absolutely yeah. nuts. And again, I'm not sure that there are many other teams and clubs and supporters in Europe that produced what we saw from Everton supporters last yeah. season. So as, as you said, it was horrible to watch at times. It was dire. It was depressing. Um, I had, like I said, I had resigned to the fact that they were going to go down. I was like debating what my future was like, am I, all right, so I got to watch this team in the championship last year. For those of you listening overseas, like it's not super easy to watch the championship here. I mean, there are ways, but I don't even know if I we get a ESPN game, plus so it, might, maybe. Yeah. Has some of the games, but Probably I don't know if they have all of them. Uh, and so I'm just like thinking about how this is even going to go in my head. And then I'm also thinking like, all right, well, maybe this is like a good reset. Like my, my weekends will be a little bit more healthy because I won't be like so invested and pissed off like on a yeah. Saturday morning uh, and it ruining my weekend. But um, but you're 100 percent right. I think, you know, this team and what we saw last year, like it was it was, you know, I, I hope hopefully it was like a, a, a jolt and a, a shock to the system where it's like, OK, let's not let this really happen again. And from here we can bring in. As you mentioned, like younger profile players, like I like the Dwight yeah, McNeil signing. I actually don't mind the Adrisa Gay signing, you know, as long as it's not, you know, I, it doesn't seem like it's terribly financially um, problematic for the club in the future, which is fine. I do think he fits an area of need. So it, it, for me this season, it's a fine balance of like, yes, looking to young players to groom for not only just like to grow, but also resale value. But also, you know, you got you to gotta stay up again, too. Like, I don't think this club is like in a position where they could feel yeah. comfortable. So I think it's a balance between the two. And I, I do like, I mean, Tarkovsky, I think it's going to be a great signing. I think they have put themselves in a position where uh, if they ha- if they don't have any like disastrous injuries, I think they'll be fine. I am a little bit worried about like what happens if Calvert Lewin goes down because again we don't Solomon Rondo is Ugh. not really the guy yeah. that you want to rely on. Um, but but again, I-, I do like the strategy. I know people were upset early on about who they were and weren't signing and like you know how you know this they, they should be you know bringing in a ton of players because this team needs to be overhauled. But like we don't have the financial. Yeah. Um, you know, capabilities to do that, considering financial fair play, which I think is totally yes. Yeah. By the way, I, I I think financial fair play is is, is only hurts yes, clubs like yes. everything. It doesn't hurt any, any oh, of the big Steve, clubs. You're speaking my language, and here, buddy. I, I yeah, like yeah, as, it's funny. My, the two clubs that I root for, like Roma and Everton, both of them have uh, those are the poster childs for clubs that get screwed by financial fair play. Not the PSGs, not the Manchester Cities, not the Chelseas. It's the clubs that like are trying to get to that next level but can't because the the actual system yeah. is holding them back. But that's a, a discussion for neither here nor there. I like what they've done in the offseason. I think they'll be okay. I, I would like to see maybe another striker be brought in. Right back's definitely problematic. But again, I, the, the guys, the, the profile of players that they've brought in, I do enjoy. Yeah, I. I... Yeah, I, the Tarkovsky thing to me, 
it goes back to last season where you can analyze all of these nuances about why Everton struggled so much. But when you just look at the sheer number of games that their important players missed last season, that's pr- that's yeah. pretty much the end. Like you see that in every sport. Uh, you have a ton of injuries to your best players. It's, it's not rocket science. You're going to lose games. And I think that um, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to say. My, my very favorite player is Yeri Mina. Love him. He's a great, he's a great Love player, Yeri. but he's yeah. just shithousery. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The just being an absolute monster to play against, but he is just—he's uh, injury prone, and it's—and it, and if he was reliable, it'd be one thing. But you know, if you could get twenty games out of him, and you combine it with a guy like Tarkovsky, who you know is going to play. Well, uh, I, I'm afraid of even saying it. Like, knock on wood. I was going to say, you're, Everton Matt yes, right there. <laughs> you're, you're hopeful. Yeah. His record suggests he will play, you know, 32-plus games a season. Yeah. Then, then I think that just having a solid defense, you know, or at least a solid pair of center halves is probably going to solve uh, at least some of the issues that Everton have. Now, the... Yeah, I, I'm excited by Nathan Patterson as a young right back. Uh, I think yeah. Mikalinko definitely benefited from having to be the well, only left back at the club and then playing. And yeah. I, I think the thing that I, I'm so used to in America, following American sports, you know, especially as we'll go on to talk here in a little bit about it, the NBA or you know even with the NFL, it's just that when you get a young player, they kind of sink or swim. They just, you play them and they figure it out. The struggle that they have is part of their development. And that's just sort of baked into the process here over there. People are very strange about, well, we can't play a young player too much too early. And then I think that sometimes messes with their development, but I think someone like Patterson, uh, Anthony Gordon has benefited certainly from playing, you know, heavier minutes. And, And I think that Everton I, I, when you go back to the expectations, Everton are a club without m- many expectations this season. So in a season where you're probably going to finish bottom half of the table, the benefit ought to be player development. It ought to be that these young players take uh, an, an additional step or two forward. So um, certainly hopeful for that. Um, I'm with you on the whole striker thing. Obviously, uh, I'm a little worried that we haven't really replaced Bruce Arlison's goals, though I know it's not as easy as we all like to think it is to to sign a quality striker. But with uh, I think we've still got like 30 days plus left in the window, so I'm hopeful they'll do a little more yeah. business. I, I also think, you know, I was the, I hated Bruce Arlison at striker. I just don't like him there. I don't think it's... It, his, to me, his best attributes are like running at mm-hmm. defenders and sort of like creating space and havoc for defenders, right? And I think when you ask him to do what Calvert-Lewin does, which is basically be this incredible force and physicality of hold-up play at the center of your attack, I just don't know that that, like, that really helps him. So for me, I'm not, I don't think we need to replace like Calvert-Lewin the striker. I think you need to replace his work rate and... Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, Richarlison. I don't think you need to like repl- you need to replace his work rate, like just his overall... He, he gave a yes. shit about the club, and I think that's important, yes. right? And... I think Dwight McNeil, while he isn't a like-for-like replacement, um, I think, you know, everyone wants to point to, like, his goals last season and assist at Burnley. And, you know, I think he had, like, what? No goals, one assist. Uh, No goals, one assist. But if you look beyond that, you know, even the prior years, like, the guy is an incredible Mm set-piece player. Um, You saw the two goals he scored in the friendly. I mean, he he clearly has goals in him. He just wasn't afforded the opportunities to do that with that Burnley squad last year. Like, they were just terrible. He had, like, no touches in the opponent's box. Like, how are you going to expect this guy to score goals? 
Um, so I do think like with him feeding Calvert Lewin sort of from the right, like that, I think that does create and, and fill the void of a lot of the Richarlison goals from last season. Um, and I think on the left, like, you could figure it out and piece it together with, with, uh, with Damari Gray and, you know, Anthony Gordon. I think, I think he was like the raw stats, you know, if you, he was kind of bad, if we're being honest, like he just, he, he was exciting. He's young. There's room to grow, but like he was terribly inefficient. Yeah. So like, I don't know if you rely on him. The, the season, numbers, the numbers aren't going to tell the whole duty. story with someone like him in all likelihood, but you saw to your point, like any young player, you started to see the flashes a little more consistently at least. Yeah. 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 And then to your point about Nathan Patterson, that was my thing last year too. was like, why? Like, so you're more comfortable with putting like Mason Holgate at right back or Ben Godfrey at right started. back than you are. Just like, how much worse could it be? Than, like, how much, how bad could Patterson really be than what we are running out there right now? Or like, you know, I love Seamus Coleman, but man, the guy, he can't play no. week in and week out. Like, it's, you're running him into the ground. So like how last, it was, you weren't getting any points anyway without him. Why not give him a shot? But I, I do think that. The three in the back system is the way to go. I don't care, like if if, if you know if, if Lampard has played a traditional four at the back system for you know, or at least prefers that. Like I think this team with Yerry Mina, who I agree with you. Like if you look at the you know basically when he played and when he doesn't, the oh, numbers are we basically like double our yeah. points with him on the, on the field and healthy. So if he could even just be kind of healthy with Tarkowski and I think with Ben Godfrey, it's a pretty good center back trio. And then you can allow sort of uh, Mikolinko and Nathan Patterson, who's not good defensively, to have a little bit more support behind them. Uh, I understand, like, you're probably not going to be this offensive juggernaut that maybe that you'd like to be in the most exciting brand of soccer or football, but I, I kind of think that that, that that system sort of fits the squad we have. Yeah, especially given the current deficiencies in midfield. Um, you know, signing Gay, I think, will... Um, certainly helps some things. Uh, he's not a traditional, I, they, they love to throw their numbers out. He's not a traditional six classic holding midfielder type, but he's, he's, he does do certain things well that they don't have right now. And so I do think that, that that will be a net benefit. But to your point, I, I, I do tend to agree that Everton, and it's weird to say this because for, for years on end, they were known for not having any width at all. Now their best attacking comes from their fullbacks, their wing players. Um, I mean, to go from where we've been to now having some pretty viable options on the wing with McNeil, Gordon, Gray, um, Townsend when he's if he comes back healthy I yeah. mean he's I, Townsend certainly surprised me last season in terms of his his overall contribution um I always liked him I always liked him as a player I, yeah, I don't think he's a world beater but he's like a he, you know he, I think he was a good player in yeah. the team last year he and Gray he and Gray certainly had some goals that saved Everton if you consider you know some of those things mm-hmm. and and then obviously I think Lampard figured out the thing that a lot of people have been trying to figure out, which is that, or have wanted him, him or an Everton manager to figure out, which is that Alex Wobie should not be on the wing. He should be playing more centrally. And I think you saw a much more effective player there, even though I know they had him at right, right wing back a little bit and he may play some of that this season. Yeah. But yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think that um, for now, for where Everton are right now, five, five at the back system, especially when you have this many center halves, uh, you know, center backs is, is probably the way to go. Um, I think, you know, with Godfrey, 
I'd like to see him bounce back. I think he had a really disappointing season last season, given the expectations uh, of his first season at Everton. But, you know, I, I think that if a lot of it just depends, again, on, on fitness. Um, and, and obviously, I think Everton still need a little bit more attacking quality going into the season. Uh, but again, they've got 30 days. We'll see what they can do. Um, last question on Everton, uh, Steve, I, I I feel like this is one of those get to know you questions about Everton. Uh, do, do, yeah, who is your who is your favorite Everton player and, and why? Was it Richarlison? And and if so, do you do you have to kind of replace him at this point in your heart? Or currently, yeah, I was gonna say like um, it probably was Richarlison. And you know the funny thing about Richarlison was he was he he I think more than anyone really understood the club and the identity and like what it was like he was a, he was like a, the, an old school like David Moyes type yeah. player where he just like works his work rate is through the roof and the fan, like he understands why the fans show up and you know the values around the club and said everything right about the club I was I was not I mean I was obviously sad but like I was totally okay with him leaving for a better opportunity I think he earned it yeah. deserved it I will root for him for the rest of Same. his career. I hope he comes back someday. I kind of hope he, I was hoping he'd go to like Real Madrid or somewhere else, not in the league. So it'd be a little easier to root for him. But yeah, I mean, I think he was everything that you would want an Everton player. Although I do, I, I do think we have some players now that can kind of like pick up that mantle for him. Like I think Godfrey, yes, he had a bad year last year, but I think he had some struggles after the COVID stuff. And I don't think he, I think a full, you know, basically being in a whole new season and, being able to fully recover, I think he'll benefit from that. And he is a guy who early on in his Everton career, like he, you know, he's not afraid to throw a tackle in or to like get physical right. or you know, rile the crowd up. And that's who you want to see. So I really liked him and I'm hoping for big things. Favorite player, I mean, man, it's really tough. I mean, I I'd probably say, hmm. I, I, so I watch a lot of Syria. I really liked Allen, but I don't think he had a good season last yeah. year. This is what this is what's hard because like I think a lot of those guys, their dip in form has really impacted like the way sure. I view them. I think sure. if you put Allen in the right situation, he's a fantastic. I mean, he was a borderline world class player at yeah. Napoli, and for him to come here, he's not a traditional six. I think he is probably more of like a eight sort of ball progressor who has like you know the ability to like put a tackle in here and there i love his game and i you know i i hope that last season was just kind of an anomaly and not like who he is going forward um i know there were some rumors about him going away but i've always loved his game and you know i'll go back to two i actually really like you know i like pickford i know he's gotten a lot of shit and there's a lot of questions about like whether or not he should be england's number one not anymore i don't think there are questions about that anymore i don't even (laughs) i don't understand how that's even a question these days because he, he honestly plays better for england than he does for everton sometimes they, he was incredible in the Euros. I mean, I don't think there's any England goalkeeper who's going to do better than him now. And again, last year, the saves against Chelsea. I mean, he and Richarlison were basically the two guys who stepped up and said, this, this is not happening on our watch. Like, we are not going to be the guys that, that, that contribute to, to, to Everton going down. So I think, you know, I, again, I, I know there's some rumors about him leaving or whatever, wanting to maybe have a different opportunity. I don't know where the next jump for him would be, though, because I'm not sure. I think he'd probably price himself out of a move. But I was happy to see him stay because I, he's not a perfect goalkeeper. But I, again, I think he gets Everton. I think he's, he's, uh, he, he's a guy who is going to, you know, honestly, probably maybe a world-class mm-hmm. shot stopper. He's not always the best, you know, when it comes to, like, concentration and, like, being just solid 100% of the time. But I always love Jordan Pickford as a player, and I enjoy. I think him. if Jordan Pickford were two inches taller, he might be considered the best keeper in the world. Um, I, I agree with you on the There's fact that he's. Well, I just think 
he's he is absolutely a world class sh- uh, shot stopper, but he there are definitely some deficiencies to his game. But I will say yeah. I I've fully come around. I've gone from wanting him gone uh, a couple of years ago to. I mean, to your point, I think you're spot on. I think I've said several times that there were really three players that kept Everton up: uh, Pickford, Richarlison, and, and Alex Awobi, of all people, who just you know played his ass off. I know um, it was great uh, to see. But Pickford is, uh, you know, there's actually a, a story that came out a couple weeks ago that he's negotiating a new deal with Everton. I think I think the best thing that Everton can do is to continue to lock him into a contract so that when the time comes, and it will come at some point, uh, Everton can collect a a healthy fee from him but you're right there's not really Pickford is such an English player I don't think he's going to leave England to go play somewhere it's going to be somewhere in England uh, whenever that time comes and there's just not really a natural place for him to go right now and and he certainly um, I mean when you are a player that makes legendary saves and big moments, uh, you know, it definitely engenders some loyalty, uh, you know, from, from certain segments of the fan base. And I've, I've certainly turned around on, on Pickford for sure. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, Steve, just because I, I'd be remiss. And maybe this is the, uh, Oh, I don't know the prerogative of the host here because let's be honest, I'm not getting a, a lot of chances to talk with my English friends about the NBA. Uh, but I've got you on, yep. so uh, I wanted to revisit uh, a discussion that that really was kind of, in some ways, the origin of of this uh, of this. Maybe this was our meet cute. I don't know what we want to call it, Steve. But you are uh, an Orlando Magic fan. I am an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, and we were in the unique circumstance of the Magic and the Thunder uh, respectively having the first two picks in this past uh, June's draft. It's the most excited I've been about a draft in a while. Um, I've been in a, I've been in Oklahoma City now. I'm from Dallas originally, but I've been in Oklahoma City since 05 and in Oklahoma since the late 90s. I went to OU and so um, you know, I fully bought in on the Thunder. I used to be a I was a season ticket holder back in the KD Westbrook even Harden some of the Harden days. Oh, they were I I, I you know, I'm one of those and I think you can appreciate this Steve that um, you know, I don't have that title that that I would have that we were so close to getting in 2016, but we had such good times for so long getting to watch some of the best players in the world in a very small market like Oklahoma City that I can't really have any complaints. I've had a great time being a Thunder no. fan overall. But we going back to this summer, I you really carried the water, uh, at least that I heard several times, on Chet Holmgren uh, to the Magic. Yep. And you, I, I think that it was the way you kind of articulated your case for him as well as others that I heard in kind of the thunder pod sphere talking about Chet that got me equally enamored with Chet. Um, I'll ask you a couple of questions on this, but tell me now that everything played out the way that it did. Orlando got Paolo Bancaro, which is certainly no consolation prize as far as I'm concerned, but, 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 yeah, I mean, but tell me what your feeling was uh, when the magic ended up getting Bancaro, especially given the weirdness around the, the draft, even the day of the draft, thinking that they were going in a completely different direction than that. How, how do you feel after investing all of your heart into Chet uh, and to see them end up with Paolo? Well, I was pretty certain they weren't going to take Chet. So it was more just like wishful thinking yeah. for me that I thought if the, if the question was, is it Jabari Smith 
or Chet, I would have taken Chet. I think Chet. I I think first off, I think all three players are going to be good. Sure. I do. Um, I think this is, I know that it like rarely ever happens in drafts. Like usually at least one of the players is going to bust, which probably will happen. Um, but I feel really confident that like all of these guys are going to be fine. and can play at this level. The question for me was, all right, if you have the first pick in the draft, I think Jabari is a safe pick because he makes right. shots, right? He's a shot maker. He shot about 40% from three in college. Um, and what's the, the game? Is a, what's the joke? It's a make yeah. or miss league, right? And he makes shots. Yeah. So like, it's it's. I understand that. But my thing was with the magic was if you have the first pick and there's this guy who can legitimately be a unicorn, mm-hmm. who can be like no one else that's ever really even played the game before on from both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive perspective. Uh, I would be willing to accept the risk that he could physically not hold up because he is like what seven one one ninety dripping wet i mean he's his body is unlike maybe anyone we've ever yeah. seen in the league but i also don't think that 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 like there aren't as many there's not like a shack in the league today there aren't these like centers who are just going to play back to the basket and back you down and dunk on guys who are weaker it's more of a perimeter oriented game switching on defense is key and you know i know he got bullied check got bullied by that uh was it kenny lofton jr yeah. i think who was like a, a g who was in, who was in the summer league but again that that, that guy is not a he's, there's not many guys like right. him in the league so i'm not really worried about it so i was just willing to take the risk and say i think chat can can be a unicorn can be unlike anyone that's really ever played the game i think he's going to be dominant defensively basically Agreed. for day one and then it's whether or not he's going to be able to be the ball handler and make shots, which he which he did in college, and he certainly did in summer league. So that was that was kind of my take on that. I had never even really entertained the Paulo Bancaro part of it because it was he wasn't on their radar. You know, it, it, basically every reporter and anyone that talked about the draft was just like it's it's Paulo, uh, it's, it's likely Paulo, but maybe Chet and and uh, or I'm sorry, it's Jabari and may, right. maybe Chet and and Paulo was just kind of the outside guy looking in. And Rosillo and many other guys that I know, I mean, even though they thought Paulo was the best player in the draft, like, he, and they weren't sure why he wasn't even being talked about in the discussion. And of course, it was just Orlando kind of playing it close to the vest, and they end up taking Paulo. And I think the sheer shock factor for me, because I just had not entertained him being the pick until like literally probably a half an hour before the draft even happened, when all the rumors started coming in and the Woj tweet comes out that you know, oh, it's like it's it's leaning towards a possibility that this is the guy. So. I was like, I didn't really know how to feel about it at first, but I actually ultimately think it's probably going to be the right decision for the Magic. Mm-hmm. I think I think both Paolo and Chet went to the places that they yeah. should have gone. I think okay. that's a good I w- point. I still, I, I still probably would have taken Chet. I still, I, I think he has the highest upside of what he can be. Um, but I understand why Orlando took Paolo because he's going to step in from day one and be the dude. And that's what Orlando needs. They've got a bunch of guys. They have actually a nice roster, but they don't have the guy. And I, so, and I think Paolo is probably the closest thing that you can find in this draft. But there are going to be times when I'm going to be jealous of you <laughs> because my whole thing about Chet was that there's this Chet FOMO when I'm watching League Pass and I turn on an Oklahoma City game and Twitter starts getting riled up because he's got like, you know, 10 points. 10 rebounds, seven assists, five steals, <laughs> six blocks, and he's just filling up the stat sheet like unlike anyone in the league where I'm going to have Chet FOMO and I'm going to be bummed that the Magic didn't take him. So I'm happy we have Paolo, but I, there's going to be a part of me that's just going to be like, damn, imagine how fun it would be to watch Chet for the next 10 years. So I'm, I am jealous of you I, from that. I point. will say that the thing about, you know, you said that, that they ended up where they were supposed to. I, I think that's absolutely true just because Paolo is such an alpha and I think Orlando needed that. Um, 
And Chet is Chet because of what you alluded to before. And you know, like, if you're if you are a Premier League person, you don't know anything about the NBA. You probably already t- turned off this conversation. I have no idea. But for a lot of our American fans, I know you have a lot of overlap here. But Ch- Chet doesn't look with with the eyeball test that I constantly refer to when evaluating players there's it, it, it he doesn't look have any business looking like what you imagine some kind of special dominant player looks like but it almost feels like Oklahoma City is the only kind of incubator if you will where he's going to be given the time to as we talked about before when we were talking about Everton players um, you know essentially work through the struggles and develop through the failures and the struggles become bullish on his shot I do think he'll be able to shoot from three I think that I don't know I don't know if his, to your point the upside is is so clearly there and there's just something and I got to admit like I'm will ever be a primary scoring option though I wouldn't put it past him but what I do know I think it's pretty obvious and and again I probably consumed way too much summer league this year but I I will tell you yeah I, I will tell you that the 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 specialness that everyone refers to defensively like you can you you, you when you see it you get it uh he he sees the game in a very very advanced way and then yeah that wings that wingspan yeah. doesn't look like a, any human being should have a wingspan like him uh it just I'm not even so worried about the weight. I I don't think that like to your point is he's not playing Joel Embiid or Zion every every night. Um, and I frankly think they're going to play well, like a tough power thing, forward next to him anyway. So yeah, the more important thing for him is honestly that he can switch on yeah. defense. It's it's that can he yeah. can he like be a decent perimeter defender too? Like can he move quickly enough? That's my only concern with Chet. And like I think what will probably if he doesn't end up being like an elite player. Um, on both sides of the ball, I think it's going to be that he doesn't have the athleticism to like go by guys on offense. He right. and I think relying on being able to just like pull up over everybody, you have to be really freaking good to like to to be efficient in just pull, hitting pull up right. jump shots. Like you have to be like Kevin Durant efficient yeah. to to make that work at an efficient level. And that's that's unreasonable to ask of any player to be like, hey, just, just be just Kevin Durant sure. from the range. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, so. I, that was a little bit worrying. That like it, I don't know that he can get by guys that like like a primary scorer can, but I just think he's going to be a good player on a good team. I think he brings winning intangibles. I think he's going to be a nightmare to have to go against when you're going to the rim. And I think again, like the pick and pop game, like he's going to be able to run pick and roll with Shea Gildas Alexander with Josh Giddy, and it's 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 going to be an awesome watch. And like I said, I I think there's who knows if Shea Gildas Alexander will be there for like it, it seems like the rebuild in OKC is. It's taking like longer than it should, and SGA is almost still out. He's like outgrowing the. Re- he's like too old. At what is he? He's like, 20, 20, uh, uh, 24, I think. Yeah. He's he's almost like too, he's becoming too old. At age twenty four, yeah. Uh, at this point, which is funny, but uh, but yeah, I think I'm happy. I, I, he wanted to be there. Too, yeah. By all accounts, by all reports, like he wanted to go to OKC. He didn't want to go to Orlando, and I think he would have worked out well with uh, with like with Orlando's personnel. In playing like next to Wendell Carter Jr., who is that big physical center that you were kind of alluding to that he kind of needs next to him. Uh, but I think Paolo 
the, the Magic and, and the Thunder are kind of in two different areas. Like the, the Thunder, I think, are still in for the long haul. Like they've got a couple years left on this rebuild. The Magic, I think, could be good next year. They certainly want to be good the yeah. year after. The, so the timeline is much easier for Chet to, to be able to sort of fully develop into the player that he I should. think the East also opens up some opportunities for Orlando that maybe the West doesn't right now. But not that the East is the cream puff conference that it once was. It's just that I think it's a little more fluid in the East, especially yep. you know what's going to happen with Brooklyn. I think we're all still kind of waiting to see what happens there yeah. uh who whomever gets duran if it's in the east that then alters things uh if he comes out west it's it's different um yeah i the thing with 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 sga you know he's tw- he's he's just turned 24 and as I, I i i sometimes feel like this rebuild's been going on forever too but yet i agree but yet the reality <laughs> is is that they made the playoffs like they were playing game seven in the the covid bubble against the rockets in the first round series yeah. like two years ago it's just that i think covid has bent our sense of time i'm often reminded that you know the thunder really have only kind of been tanking for a pretty short period of time i i think the difference this year and to me the big question about SGA is that by all accounts he's fully on board with what the Thunder are doing because he believes they're building something special but they've kind of wink wink shut him down uh, at the kind of the last third of, of the last couple of seasons uh, even though I, I know he did have some injury issues but he could have probably definitely played more that'll be the big sign this year is will they let their players play and will they let you know SGA play and not uh, try to artificially uh, you know flex the the the, the lottery odds uh, I feel like if they're close to I think the thunder are gonna be competitive enough uh, to be right around that maybe that play in 10th place kind of like they're going to beat some teams they shouldn't they're going to also get blown out some nights but I don't I think they have too much talent even though they're young to just be a completely embarrassing tire fire of a, of a team like they've maybe been in some ways the, you know the last couple seasons at times so I don't know I I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I don't know that they're, I don't know if, I, if I'm as optimistic as you are about them being close to a playing team, but that's their ceiling know, probably the S- in fairness. Yeah. yeah. Like I think Orlando reasonably that their goal should be to be a plan. Yeah. Next year. 100%. Like, I think it, they, they might not get there, but they shouldn't be sniffing bottom five record in the league. They yeah. just shouldn't. Um, whereas OKC, the other thing too, is like for you guys, you know, we know how much Sam Presti, who's their general manager, who's like, you know, this, who a lot of people probably think is the best one in the league. We know how much he likes like the long, lanky type of guy. And the number one pick in the Wimbyama. draft next year is, Wimbyama. is yeah, this guy, Victor Wembanyama, who is like the freak of yeah. all freaks. He's like, if, yeah. if Sam Presti created someone in a lab, he's a seven foot three guy who with a handle and who could shoot. And who's also good defensively. Uh, I can see them still wanting to bottom out for another year to have a better shot at him. Because here's the problem. It's like, you guys have a thousand draft picks and that's great. You can move around in the draft, like pretty much at will. will. But if like, but you're never, if there's like a consensus number one pick, no amount of draft picks is likely going to get you to the first pick. Like, so, so yeah, you can move up from like five to two or like, you know, move up a couple spots here and there. We saw him do it last year. But if they don't get the first pick in the draft via lottery odds, there's really not a good chance that they're going to be able to trade that pick or trade all their draft picks for that pick, even if he, even if they want him that bad. I mean, they could trade like ten picks, and the team might just be like, "No, we want, we want Wembanyama. We think he's like the next, you know, superstar in the league." And there's no amount of thing. It, it'd be like, you know, 
I'm trying to think like the Andrew Luck NFL draft where it's like, it doesn't matter how many picks you have. Like you're not passing on that guy. Whatever team gets the first pick is going to do that. So I kind of think that they're in a weird spot where, yeah, they can move up here and there and make some moves, but unless they get lucky in the lottery next year, they're not going to be able to take one Wenbanyama. So I still think they're going to probably be a tanking team because they want to, they're going to want to be in the mix. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I, I think that, that's the biggest question is that I think there's a lot of wisdom to the idea that they should try to tank, you know, for at least one more season. Um, I also think that just because they still lack a considerable amount of shooting on the team, that some of that will just take care of itself. I mean, I think they're going to have a lot of bad shooting nights. And I think that in the NBA, you just get punished uh, so much for that. But I think you make a great point. Like I, I do, I think having all these draft picks is currency for the Thunder, but even that currency has its limits you know last not this past draft uh, that we just had but the one before by all accounts the thunder really wanted to get up uh to cleveland's pick to take evan mobley but they couldn't uh they they you know and and they had to quote settle for josh giddy who i think is is ended up being a perfect cultural fit for them and and you know a really interesting uh facilitator and player um can he and SGA continue to coexist as primary ball handlers? I, I think that may be an existential question about what you think the NBA is in terms of having multiple ball handlers and playmakers on the court at all times. I mean, God, Bancaro's the, the case for Bancaro is that he is such a multidimensional player. And now that now you have great passers at all these different positions. And so I think it's uh, I think yeah. the Thunder are trying to get weird with it because the rest of the league is getting kind of weird with it in terms of, you know, these shattering these archetypes and so on and so forth. I, I agree. I mean, the, the, the thing that gets me excited from a magic perspective is the idea that you could have two six foot, legit six foot 10 guys running roll between Boncaro and Franz <laughs> oh. Wagner. That is unlike really anything that's, I would say ever happened yeah. in the league. Like the two guys that can get their own, who, you know, can pick and pop with each other, you know, at the three, four position and who are like genuinely you know, on the trajectory to be like legit stars in the league at six ten, like you know, and like I mean, Franz, I, I I think Franz is like actually underrated somehow. I know he, you know, he, he was what the seventh pick in the draft last year. I think you know a lot of people just yeah, you play in Orlando, it's not like that sexy of a market. It's not like a cool rebuild. Like okay, OKC's rebuild is cool. Orlando's is like not that cool. <laughs> is so, it cool? I, Fra- a lot of the Thunder fans think that no, we, everyone people, thinks no, we're the we're it. the poster child for like the horribleness of tanking and all this stuff. Can, <laughs> no, I think I think people were like, oh, Presti's got to figure it out. This guy's so smart. Look at he drafts Poku. Oh, got God, Poku. Interesting yeah. players. Where in Orlando, it's like, oh, yeah, whatever, cool. Like, Franz Wagner had a nice year. It doesn't matter. It's Orlando. And I would be so. I think I think next year, like, he is going to really, really surprise the people with how – because I don't think he has that many weaknesses mm-hmm. in his game. And Franz, you know, he kind of came in the, in the league as like, oh, he could be like a good 3 and D guy, starter. And he ends up being like this playmaker, incredible defensive player – you know, good shot maker, great at the rim. Uh, and, and when he fills out his body, he and Paolo, I, don't, I just don't know how you stop that. How do you know how you stop that two-man game? So that's what I'm really, really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it could be next year, but at least in two, three years, I really think that's going to grow into something. The Magic can. have power forwards the way that Everton have center backs, it feels like. I mean, I couldn't believe they re-signed Mo Bamba again. I was even surprised by that. Just uh, I was I like, know. okay, was, well, you know, but again, it's... I was against it. 
I was against it, but at at the number they got him for, yeah. I'm okay with it. I was yeah. Okay. He's it ultimately, and and I've certainly learned to view it within this lens. Is you sign guys to reasonable deals, they become incredible, you know, trade assets as well, and so that that becomes its own form of currency. Um, uh, I I think I'd be remiss being a being here in Oklahoma City and talking NBA without asking at least one ke- question about Kevin Durant, and that's I'm not going to ask the generic where do you think he ends up or any of that kind of stuff. It, it appears if he gets his wish, which I'm not convinced he will, but let's say he does, he's going to be on. I guess that would then make it his his fourth team. Um, there's. It's what do you make of Durant's legacy at this point? Because I think everyone agrees that he is, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best players ever, and yet it's a strange odyssey this this latter half of his career, isn't it? It's for for a player that is considered as as great as great can be in this league, and and I'm I, I certainly hope that this doesn't sound like a loaded question coming from a Thunder fan who is still heartbroken about 2016 and about him leaving. Yeah. But what do you make of, of, of Durant's kind of long-term legacy if he goes to yet another team? And, and by the way, if he goes to another team, I'm not convinced that's his last stop either. Yeah. I think, I think KD, I, I just don't know that he knows ever what he really wants or has like true convictions about how he should approach his like his his basketball career because I think when he's in OKC you know obviously they have some good times to go to a finals but I think he clearly saw it I'm not you know this isn't me trying to diss no OKC it's a Westbrook thing coming I know, that's fine. I know that's but fine. but and I honestly I love right, Westbrook I man I loved Westbrook early on and then you start being like oh he's actually not very good like he's like this is there's a lot of fluff around his game that actually is not super helpful to his teammates and he isn't great and efficient or, or great in in the clutch or in crunch time um, and I think Kevin probably saw the writing on the wall and was like, all right, I, I could be here. LeBron's winning all these championships. Now all anybody first take, undisputed, every talk show is like, oh, I'm rings, a championship. You rings, have rings, rings. Yeah, it's, it's rings culture, right? And I think he's like, well, shit, all right, fine. I feel like I'm really good. I'll, I'll, I'll go win rings with, with you know, if, if rings is what you want, I'll yeah. go win rings and I'll be the MVP and I, I, or the MVP in the finals and I'll be the best player even with a team with Steph Curry. What I didn't think he took into account was that no one would give him, which is kind of surprising, but like no one was going to give him credit for that because they had already won a title. Sure, they were coming off of a, ti- a, a, a series that they yeah. lost um, to the Cavs, which is, you know, there were also ridiculous circumstances for the reason that they actually lost. I don't think he he really understood how much blowback he was going to get for that. I think he just thought I'll win and then I'll go down to history as having a couple of titles and I'll be an all time great and this is going to be great. Um, but you know, once once he kind of realized that in in Golden State, I think and I, it's understandable. To, to, I, I, I thought the move to wanting to leave there, after, I, thought, I thought he did everything he could, you know, in in, uh, in Golden State is what I'm trying to say. Like I don't think he had anything more to show or prove in in Golden State. I think it was always going to be Steph Curry's team. I don't think he liked that necessarily, even though I think he understood why. And he was like, fine, you didn't think I could do this on my own. I'll go do my own thing. I'll build it. I'll build a team basically from scratch, a team nobody cares about in the Brooklyn Nets, right? And I'll even do it with this guy, Kyrie Irving, who everybody hates too. So I just, I think his decision-making is, like, I understand the logic and all the decisions that he made, but I think he underestimated, one, the type of credit he was going to get, and two, how hard it was going to be on him. And, you know... Because, like, for example, like, I think leaving Golden State to go to try to, you know, try to win a championship on your own, uh, quote unquote, on your own, even though he's doing it with one or two other superstars. I understand that because if he had won a championship with Brooklyn, 
I think he gets infinitely more credit for his career than he probably does now when only he has two titles with with this Warriors team that really wasn't his team. So I understand all the decision making that went into like why he do, why he did the things that he does, and I understand why he wants out of Brooklyn now, even if it's a terrible look. And you said he's going to be on his fourth team in a couple of years, um, but I just don't know that he I don't know that he's ever really understood uh, or been comfortable with like his own basketball legacy. Yeah. And yeah. I think he's still sort of searching for like how to how do I get people to accept me as like this all time great? I think he I think is every, an all time yeah, great he player. Is, he is clearly. But it's always going to be like whenever anybody talks about him now, it's going to be like, oh, he won the two rings of Golden State. Those don't actually count. And that probably sucks. And he's never going to get over that unless he wins another. Yeah, I, I, well, and look, I, I fully admit all my, my biases, of course. Like, I, I think years on, I, I sort of understand the logic. You know, Westbrook, the thing about Westbrook is that he was, he was and, and still even is to a large degree such an athletic athletically special player um you know he's an mvp he's also a hall of famer like westbrook has done things that are i don't think people fully appreciate that because he normalized the triple double you know he did those sorts of things but um i think what happened westbrook was more of a victim of the fact that uh, his game did not suit where the league was going and everything about Golden State, yeah. Steph Curry, all that, that's where the league was going. And, and, and Westbrook could never adjust to that and never has. Um, and so I understood why Durant left in that regard, but it was impossible to remove the context of going to that team after losing to them in such a contentious series where the Thunder were up 3-1. I was at game... Four in Oklahoma City when they or was it five? I can't remember. It was game four, I guess. Whenever they went up three one, and we just blew out the Warriors. And I thought, boy, it's it's finally here. You know, I just that that twenty sixteen team seemed like a team of destiny. And then you know things that three one happens to to us all at some point. But uh, yeah, I Durant never has seemed comfortable in his he's comfortable in his own skin but also not in terms of the the kind of the the sum total of of all his choices and i always find it fascinating how with nba players there's this weird bar that we assign in terms of who gets credit for winning a title and why whereas when we talk about soccer you know you know you know we talk about the premier league whatever great players go to city or liverpool or whatever and if they win titles no one no one blinks an eye and says oh well they just went to a great team it's it really is interesting how that 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 varies in in different sports for sure trophies culture though is is a thing that's annoying to me too in in soccer in some ways like for example like if you look at tottenham I love that there are like people that are like, oh, Tottenham, they haven't won, you know, the, uh, Arsenal fans, yeah. for example, like, all right, hey, you know, you, you, you haven't won a trophy in however many years. Cool. Well, you know what? They did make the Champions League final a couple yeah. years ago, which to me is way cooler than winning the FA Cup. Yeah, like, probably. I, 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 like, I know it's not, I know it's not a trophy, but it's, it's definitely harder. And I'd much rather make the Champions League final than win an yeah. FA Cup. Yeah. I'm sorry. Now, like, that doesn't mean I think Tottenham should go out and win a trophy, like at some point, like they got to win a freaking trophy soon. But like I, you know, there are like there are levels to this, you know, and I think uh, I, I do get annoyed by the trophies culture as well. Like I'm obviously a, a Roma fan, and like this, you know, with, with Francesco Totti, he, you know, he could have left for Real Madrid or all these other clubs, right? When he was when he was like, you know, in his prime, stayed at Roma, didn't necessarily win as much, but it was kind of cool because like he's like this hometown guy and he's a legend there forever, and it was like a, just a different sort of vibe. Sure, he could have won like a dozen trophies at Real Madrid if he did, but he didn't do that. So I don't I, I get annoyed with the rings and trophy culture overall because I don't think it lacks the yeah. nuance, you know. Yeah. But I do I do think that for Kevin Durant specifically, um, 
he's unfortunately he's just he's never going to get credit unless he wins a championship as like the guy like if he even if he goes hypothetically if he went to phoenix and won it with you know chris paul and uh devin booker i don't even know if he gets that much credit for that either because they were just in the nba finals finals. and (laughs) they're already two great players like i just don't i don't i think he's kind of that's why the nets would have worked because the nets came out of nowhere he built this team if they had won it and they very easily could have won it um that would have probably changed the narrative around it, but I, just, I don't know what he can do now. Well, I don't, I really Steve, don't. the last thing I'll say on this is clearly the solution here is the Thunder sending about 10, draft, 10 first round picks to the Nets for Durant and having the ultimate homecoming redemption story where he will absolutely get <laughs> right credit out. for yeah. the title. But, he uh, would. Yeah, I mean, the problem is by the time you guys are done rebuilding, he'll be, he'll probably, you know, he'll, he'll be like the oh, veteran be, you know, bench guy. He'll be 38 and Bronny will be in the league with his dad and it'll be, yeah, it'll be crazy. Oh, yeah. Last thing, because I know we got to go, uh, Steve. Thanks for the extra time. I wanted. I always end this uh, on this note with uh, with guests, especially for the first time. Tell me something that you are watching right now, TV, movie, whatever. Something that has just got you excited that you're you're really loving. That's distracting you from from the uh, perilous nature of sport. Perilous nature of sport. I'm trying to think. Um... Well, let's see. We finished Stranger Things recently, but that's too many. Oh no, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I enjoyed the hell out of Stranger Things. It's a wild. It was a wild ride. It felt like eight movies uh, <laughs> made into one season. I I really love the show. I really really do. I I, I you know I, I think most of the seasons have also been yeah. great. I think you know season two was a little bit weird, but I think consi- all things considered, it's a fantastic show. The one thing I will say. Uh, Peaky, Bi- Peaky Blinders final season. I mean, if you're not watching Peaky Blinders at this point, like I don't know what oh, you're yeah. doing. I think it's. Uh, probably other than maybe succession my favorite current show on television um i haven't seen the final season lo- yet i've heard it's great and i just haven't gotten around to watching it but i've watched the other seasons so i'm very excited oh uh, it's it's one of those shows where you just feel cool watching it <laughs> and maybe it's because i'm american and they're talking on the you know the british accents and they're you know the other cool that will bring this full circle back to soccer like they're villa fans yeah. too so it was cool there was like an episode where they were like there was like a, a fight with the villa they're bribing or him something, or something. Or something going on <laughs> yeah and and I'm, it's like it was pretty cool to see that so i would say uh Peaky Blinders is, is is probably the show that if you haven't watched, yeah. go check it out because it's, it's it's incredibly enjoyable. Well, the one that I'm currently in the middle of, I'm almost done with, uh, that is kind of flying under the radar in America. If you've got HBO Max, if you're over in the UK, I don't know. It's I don't know what the HBO like. I, content's weird over there because you go over there, and Netflix has yeah. completely different shows and so on. But uh, a show called Rest Tokyo that. Vice on HBO Max uh, is incredible. Hmm. It's um, it stars uh, Ansel Elgort, the guy from Baby Driver, and uh, he was in West Side Story remake. And uh, it, it's a we- it's it's a weird. I, I'm a big fan of the fish out of water stories, especially when it's like a, an American or an English speaker in a, in a foreign country. Uh, but basically, it takes place in the late '90s. He is this. Uh, he's an American, but he's a reporter for Tokyo's equivalent of the New York Times, and basically gets wrapped up in a bunch of intrigue with the yakuza and you know this dark uh, yeah. uh, criminal you know conspiracy underworld stuff with the police and corruption and all of that. And I think my favorite part, beyond the fact that he is subject to prejudice and racism and obstacles because he's an American and it's kind of a, you know, flipping, you know, the script a bit is I love a suspense and or kind of mystery show that takes place uh, in the pre text message, pre smartphone era, just because phone calls and answering machines are still plot devices and actually having to, 
you know, go find somebody and hunt someone down is, is still a thing. And, yeah. uh, it's, it, it, it moves well. Uh, Michael Mann actually directed the first episode of that. He's pretty heavily involved with that. So if you're a fan of the great movies like heat, uh, and others, uh, as I am, you love a good, like, uh, you know, caper thing, you know, caper story. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, that's, that sounds great. I gotta uh, definitely, out. definitely worth Let checking me- out. Let me throw. I'll throw an even more obscure one because I feel like I've thrown too too many games <laughs> okay. here. Uh, this one is not n- that new. It's probably like maybe a year or so old, um, but it was like one of the best things I've watched in the last year. It's called uh, the Northwater. Okay. It is. Okay. Uh, it's a show on AMC I've Plus. Got, I've got so that again for our for our, for our friends in in, uh, in in overseas in in Great Britain or wherever or else Europe. Uh, I don't know how you would watch this, but it's Colin Farrell. It's like six episodes, and it's basically. It's about an 1800s whale charter ship that goes like up into basically like the can like the Canada area, and uh, they're they're whaling, but like this the, like there are a bunch of problems that happen on the ship, and Colin Farrell essentially like goes insane while like slowly, and it's like a very slow burn, but it's so well acted, and Colin Farrell like gained a ton of weight for this role, and is like this massive like burly dude. And, uh, I, it was one of the most, it was, it was insane. It's kind of a tough watch. Like, you know, just there's some, if you're squeamish, like it's not the best thing maybe, but if you like Colin Farrell and you like sort of like that vibe, like I like, I like kind of historical fiction and definitely has a lot of that in there. And I thought it was incredibly well acted show. And it's only about six episodes. Highly, highly, highly recommend the North. The North water. Okay, yeah. I'm definitely going to check that one out. No, I, I love anything involving uh, you know potential shipwreck survivalist uh, cold scenario. Uh, there's a few shows like that that uh, that's that's right in my wheelhouse. So no, that sounds awesome. Uh, I will definitely check that out. I'm I've just I'm recently a subscriber to AMC Plus because it has Shutter, and I'm I, my wife and I are obsessed with scary movies and horror films and stuff like that. Yep. So and the last thing I'll recommend too is a movie that'll be on AMC Plus here pretty soon. That I saw, I rented it called Watcher, uh, kind of in another fish out of water story. But it's, uh, if you ever saw that movie, It Follows, the main girl from that, Maika Monroe. Was that the one about the STD? Yeah, like, what was it? It's yeah, like, I've heard it's, about it, but I haven't seen it's it. It's this STD. I don't know if it's an STD, but it's basically, <laughs> yes, you have sex and then this thing comes to kill you. But, like you get oh, haunted. it's yeah. It's basically like a like a like a, like a, like a supernatural. One of my TV. favorite horror movies ever. It's <laughs> yeah. so weird and awesome. Really? Yeah, okay. just because it yeah. follows is a very like it. It's very. Uh, it has a lot of uh, borrows a lot of influences, but does it in a really thoughtful way in terms of like it's got a Halloween yeah. vibe to it, but also has a a I virgin like suicides vibe to the way it's shot and uh, you know how they're coming. Anyway, but there's a movie called Watcher that I recently saw with her in it. Basically, her and her husband moved to Bucharest. Uh, they're American. Uh, he's Romanian American, so he speaks the language a little bit. She doesn't speak any of the language, but they—it's a tight ninety, as I, as my wife likes to say, ninety minutes. So you know, it's not too long. Love that. Uh, but basically, they move into this apartment downtown, and she starts noticing the shadowy figure across the—you know—the building across the way that is just staring at her from from his window, and it basically <laughs> turns into a. Do people believe her? Is this guy really following her? Is this thing happening? And it's a, let me just say the ending. It's one of those movies where the last shot of the movie so delivers that it makes the whole thing worth it. So oh, that's it's called, 
That's my kind it's of called thing. Watcher, Steve, and I will probably follow back up with you at some point to see if you've watched that or it follows, but we can talk about that later. Um, no, I mean, that's actually right in my wheelhouse. I will absolutely. Awesome. Well, Steve, you you definitely get bonus points for staying the extra time. Uh, Kickabout is, is certainly a podcast known for its uh, very fluid agenda where we just talk about whatever the hell we feel like. And as long as Everton is, uh, you know, mixed in there pretty well. Uh, Everton, Everton, and, Everton yeah. and all I like to say Everton and all that that implies. Uh, so if you're a, if you're a supporter of Everton, you know that the only way to keep your sanity with that is to also uh, consume other sports and, uh, you know, other pop culture as well. So uh, Steve Cerruti from The Ringer, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, hopefully we can have you talk, uh, come back and talk again about Everton. We'll check in at some point maybe and we'll see how the season's going, see how our sanity is, is holding up at that point. But uh, hey, like you, uh, they haven't played a game yet they haven't kicked a ball yet so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go in just a little bit optimistic especially if they can uh, sign a striker so it's hard not to be optimistic i mean right like, like if you're if you're going to be that depressed going into the season then you're not going to yeah. do it at all you have to be you have to be a little bit especially after last season so i'm excited i appreciate you having me on yeah so let's let's check in during the season i mean maybe we're maybe we'll you know it'll be another miserable season we can kind of like commiserate together but uh happy to come on all right now. sounds good well for for those of you who are um those of you who are listening, obviously, to uh, the Blue Room throughout the week, uh, we've got just a ton of, of special content coming up this week in terms of just season preview content. We'll have some great interviews. Uh, we'll certainly talk more about Chelsea. Uh, we'll probably, I think, later this week, uh, Matt and I will be back on for a transfer pod to talk about all the kind of... The- <laughs> the weirdness going on there, but uh, the the signing of Gay looks like it's pretty imminent. So we'll, we'll certainly talk about that a little bit more, and, and we'll certainly preview Chelsea. Uh, but for Steve, uh, I'm Rob Vera. We'll see you guys next time here on the Kickabout. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.